0: Revival. There I am. It's an interesting concept. The idea that God would move not just in one heart, but in a bunch of hearts collectively at the same time. Man. I've been praying for that for about 10 years. And so there's this pastor thing. I don't know if you know this. Pastors say this thing all the time. They say, man, God's really moving in this church. And it's real. We don't always mean it. We're trying to speak it into existence, but we don't always mean it. Um. But I'll tell you right now, I'll tell you right now, uh, I don't know how many of you were, were participated in our worship night this past Sunday, man, we had four people get baptized, so you should clap for that, thank you. Where are you at? Usually you lead the way, people are, not, they don't know when to clap, Jonathan, you have to, you have to tell them. Uh, and man, we just, I, it's like an intangible thing, but my goodness, it just felt like God kind of invaded that night and it was amazing, so uh, I really do believe that God is kind of up to something in this church right now. So uh, I'm excited about that. They're getting better. They used to just do like the golf clap, you know. It was kind of like that really polite one, but they're getting a little better at this. All right. Hey, pray with me. Jesus, thank you so much. You are, you are the God of revival, Lord. And I just, I just want to keep praying that down, Lord, that it wouldn't just be one spark or two sparks, but you would just light a wildfire in here of people drawn close to you, in their life. Pray that our, our ears are open and our hearts are open to what you have to do this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right. Thank you, worship team. Good. And good. So it's, it's Super Bowl Sunday. I don't know if you care. Um. It's historically, I don't know if you know, statistically speaking, this is one of the lower attended Sundays of the year, you know, got Sunday after Christmas, Memorial, Labor Day, and then, you know, Fourth of July falls on a weekend, and then Super Bowl Sunday. For some reason, people have to get ready now. I always thought it was weird, like, it's just an hour, you can go home and start whatever kind of party you want to start right after church, it's up to you, but whatever, it's cool. If you're watching online, we love you still, even if that's what you're doing. If you're always online with us, our online tribe. Genuinely, you don't have to feel bad. You're awesome too. We love you. All right. We're starting a new series. I totally forgot. We're starting a new series today. It's called Kingdom First. Really excited talking about the kingdom of God. Uh, it's such a, like, a deep and important um, concept. Jesus talks about kingdom all the time. So we're going we're gonna to dig into that. Uh, before we start there though, uh, there's something we say here. Often I want to start saying it more. I've kind of gone away from it, but we used to say all the time that if you're not dead, God's not done. We say that all the time, man. If you're not dead, God's not done. If you still have breath in your lungs, there is still purpose in your life. That nobody, we believe nobody's walking around on this earth without some kind of purpose in front of them. That nobody's exhausted it yet. And that means for you, like the days, weeks, months, hopefully years you have left, God wants to do something with your life. Like for real, I don't believe it's like a small thing. I believe God wants to use you in a way that like ripples out from you and doesn't just affect you, but affects other people and then ripples all the way out, like past your life into eternity. Like I believe that, that that your life should matter. And like... I guess I'm saying like you're kind of a big deal, and I'm not supposed to say that to you because you're not supposed to get cocky about it, but I tell my kids this all the time. You know, God's got big plans for your life, and I really do believe that if you're still here, there's a reason for it. Now, I know that when I start talking about purpose, I know some stuff starts happening in your mind because it happens in mine too. The question pops up for many people sitting in the room, What's my purpose? Right? You start to ask the question, if I still have purpose, if I'm still supposed to, I don't know, do something with whatever I have left in my life, then what is it? So how do you, how do you find your purpose? And I know what you normally do, because again, I I do this too. I think the, the place we usually go for the answer is in here, right? We start thinking about ourselves. And you know what? How did God create me? You know what are my passions? What are my hobbies? What what am I good at? What are my talents? You know even even you know spiritual gift. How did God gift me? What 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 about here? What what about me? And and we start really like getting introspective when we think about purpose. And I get it. I, I want to say that's fair. It makes sense. Uh, and that's I think a part of the answer to how you would find your purpose, I just don't know that I think, like, you shouldn't go there first. Okay, don't start here. When you wanna, if you're on a journey to discover purpose and you're like, man, we're starting now, I wanna figure out why God has me here. If you wanna wanna do that, good, but don't start here. Don't start here. Uh, There's this famous, uh, deep philosopher named Samwise Gamgee, okay? (laughs) Three of you get this, okay, so I'm a nerd, Lord of the Rings, he's a hobbit, he helps, he's really the most important character in the story, okay, Frodo's weak, Sam is the one who gets him there, okay, carries him up the mountain, for Pete's sake. Sam, uh, believe it or not, this little hobbit, he has some really deep wisdom, he asks a profound question at one point on this epic journey that they're on, he asks the question, what sort of tale have we fallen into? What sort of tale have we fallen into? Now, the interesting part about it is Sam actually is asking a purpose question. Sam is reflecting on his role in this story. He wants to know what he's supposed to do, but he doesn't start here. He starts with the grand story that he's in. And then ask the question. And the reason this is so important, because if Sam started with Sam, and if you're not a nerd and you don't know, he's a hobbit, which means he's a little tiny person from from the shire, not important, not big, not strong, not smart, can't fight. Like if you started with him and asked the question, what's his purpose? He's probably going to come up with a small answer, right? Because he's a small person. But instead, Sam backs up and he says, but what kind of story am I caught up in? And he starts with the big picture and then asks the question, what role do I play in that story? And all of a sudden, the answer is way different when he's looking at this big purpose. Because now he knows he has to live up to the story that he's caught up in. It didn't matter that he was small. He knew his role was going to be big. And I wonder if maybe we should think about purpose the same way because maybe you're kind of like Sam, even though you're not a hobbit, you probably don't have hair on your feet because that'd be weird. But I'm guessing that if you start with you, you're going to all of a sudden start to think about all your flaws and all the things that are wrong with you and all the stuff that you can't do. and you're all, I'm just not that person. And that's not a great starting space. So what if instead you ask the question, what kind of what tale am I caught up in? What kind of story is God writing over the course of history, and then start from that, and then ask, what's my role to play in that story? That makes more sense, right? Even though instinctively when we talk about purpose, we want to look inside, doesn't it make more sense to know the story before you ask your role? I mean, it just it's kind of makes more sense. So, Sam's smart guy. We need more hobbit wisdom in our lives. Go home and watch those movies, it'll be good for you. Sure, it's, it's your homework turn you into a nerd. My church will be nerdy eventually. It's my goal. It's one of my goals. All right. So let's do this then. So we all know Sam's story. What about ours? What kind of tale are we caught up in? Here's what I want to do. I want to look at uh, two stories in the Bible today that are thousands of years apart, um, and then I'll end with a C.S. Lewis quote. We'll go home, just like always. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Not even joking. Um... (laughs) Now, these two stories, if you grew up in church, you know them. You know these, you actually probably know them inside and out. You could probably just come up here and recite them. You don't even need me to do this. Um, and even if you're not a church person, even if you've never been to church before in your life, not really religious, I guarantee you know of the stories. You might not know the details, but you know them. Well, what we're going to do today. Is we're going to put them right next to each other. And man, once you do that, I'll be, can I be real? This is, I like to research stuff, but where I got the idea for this sermon was my kids' Bible time at night. They have this little Bible um, that we're reading that they always make the connection between like the Old Testament and New Testament. It's really deep. And man, we were reading these two, this story and they made this connection. I'm like, I'm preaching now. I don't care. Like, that's, good. that's good stuff. So, and the kid, the kids were excited about it too. Like, wow! Every every story from the Old Testament attaches to the New Testament. It's just so cool. So, we're going to do this today. Well, we're going to start. If we're asking the question, what sort of tale are we caught up in here? The place to start, of course, is in the beginning, right? Genesis chapter one. We need to begin at the beginning. So. In the beginning, God creates everything, right? Uh, all, all all, the stuff, from planets to plants, from asteroids to animals. He's everything God creates. And he's kind of, it's almost get the impression that God's like singing things into existence because it's this chorus that he keeps uh, saying over and over and over again. It is good. It is good. It is good. He, he just looks over creation. The stars are good. The mountains are good. The, the oceans are good. The, the forests are good. Animal, everything he says is good. And then he gets to humans. And man, you just get the impression that God just Oh, he loves his, he loves like an artist looking at something that just clicked. And he's like, man, it's very good. He loves it. And it says that he made us in his likeness, in his image. And there's something about us that's just good, like different level good. A lot of theologians call humans the crown of creation. And then, in the very first chapter, I mean, this is chapters, page one of your Bible, he says to humans, have dominion and rule over creation. You know that? He gives them like, like little crowns. He says, here, Adam, here, Eve, you're a little king, little queen. I'm the high king, but I'm going to rule my creation through you. I created it, now you shape it. That's crazy that he, he gives it to him. He, he just hands him the keys to the kingdom and says, go. And then he tells them, be fruitful, multiply. One of my favorite commands in the Bible, right? Okay, this is a good one. This is good. And then he says one, one negative one, just one thing you're not supposed to do. Here's it, you know, rule, make babies. Don't eat from that tree right there. Just the one, just the one. Now, side note, some people get caught up on that. Why? God, didn't you just uproot that stupid thing and get it out of there? You know, the tale that we're caught up in would be way different if that tree didn't exist. Um, But just real quick, I don't have time to go into the whole theology of it, but that tree represented something. That tree represented a choice, right? They could choose God or not God, they could choose God's way or their way. And what it created, while yes, it created the possibility of evil, it also created the possibility of love freely given which is the greatest thing in all creation. Right. But that's the only way you get it, right? Is if you create the possibility of not choosing it. So instead of, you know, these, these people who had no choice but to do what God wanted, he created beings that could actually choose, hey, God or not God. And he made it black and white, right? He didn't just say, love me. He didn't just say, respect me. He said, eat, disobey, don't eat, obey. <laughs> choose me or not me. Choose my way or your way. Black, white, So that's what the tree represents. So back up and look at this. Rule the world. Make babies. Don't eat from that tree. That is a pretty sweet deal, right? You put that on Indeed.com. I wonder how many people would apply to that job. That's pretty sweet. I'd take that. I'd take that right now. And then Genesis chapter 3 happens. Two stinking chapters in. It's like this perfect scene, this picture Picture X scene that God is creating, and then all of a sudden it's invaded. And, uh, well, helps us understand the tale we're caught up in. So, again, keep in mind the setting. I want you to remember the setting Adam and Eve in this beautiful garden, abundance everywhere, green, lush, chattering of animals everywhere. It's this amazing, like the essence of humanity, what they're supposed to be experiencing. That's the scene for what's about to happen in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord has made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat of the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? So if you're not familiar, it's not just random snake. This is Satan shown up on the scene, spoiling everything just with his presence. And all he does... Is ask a question, right? Did God really say? It's a leading question, right? It's a question, a question designed to create doubt. He's not going right at it. That's the way he works, right? He doesn't go right at it. He goes, he goes the long way around, just insinuating some things. So Eve responds, Verse 2, of course we may eat from the tr- fruit of the trees of the garden. Uh, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. So Eve corrects him. He's making some grand stupid statement that he knows isn't true. And she's like, no, no, no. It's not just all the trees. It's just that one tree. And now she kind of overcorrects him if you're reading the story. Um, God didn't say anything about not touching it. And some people get caught up on that oh Eve doesn't know what God really said I don't know maybe she's just being smart what are you going to do play catch with it like I'm not, I'm not touching that tree either if God said hey that one that'll kill you we're not going to go we're not going to go hmm, God so this one is it This the one you're talking about like I'm not doing that I'm going to stay away from it we're not touching it either i built a fence around that thing so okay Eve says we're not no 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 it's just that one and then Satan like turns the dial a little bit in verse four you won't die The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened. As soon as you eat it, you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So now he goes right at God. He tells an outright lie. And then he tells some partial truths again. Your eyes will be open. That's true. You'll be like God. Well, you'll know both good and evil. And Eve doesn't even know what that means. But really what he's doing is he's telling the oldest lie. The oldest lie. That God is holding out on you. That, that your best life is found outside of the commands of God. That's really where you need to be. If, if God makes these commands, it's essentially God putting you in a straitjacket and you don't want to live like that. You want to live free. You got to get outside of these restraints of God telling you what to do. He cast doubt on the character of God here God does not have your best interest at heart. He still whispers this today doesn't he? Isn't that still the question that we ask sometimes when we're faced with the things in our lives that we maybe want to do that are outside of the commands of God? Satan's still whispering. It'd be better if you did that than if you didn't. It'd be better if you go that road, even though you know God doesn't want you to go that road. God's holding out on you. God doesn't want you to have the best thing for you. He still whispers that because you wouldn't do it if you didn't think it was going to be good, right? You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't sin. You wouldn't go against God if you didn't, if you didn't think it was going to be good for you. It's the old lie. He hasn't had to change his play yet. He can run the same play every single time and it keeps working. Trade your crown, little queen. Trade it. Give me the crown and you can have the fruit. Woo. And then arguably the worst verse in the Bible. Verse 6. The woman was convinced. She saw the tree, was beautiful, its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. She gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate too. Rule the world. Make babies. Don't do that. That's all they had to do. God gave them everything, including the choice to push away from him, and they took it. They laid down their crowns at the foot of that tree and picked up the fruit. Verse 7 begins to display the consequences. At that moment, their eyes were open and suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. At that moment, that moment, that profound moment, that moment which will live in infamy. So many things happened in that moment. Number one, their eyes were opened, their innocence removed. They got what they wanted, but it wasn't what they thought it was going to be. You ever been there? They got what they wanted, that thing that they wanted. Man, they've been wanting it. Satan presented it as his thing. I want it, I want it, I want it. You get it? Oh, oh, this is, this is why God didn't want me to have that. Oh, he did have my best interest at heart. Oh, their eyes were opened. At that moment, even bigger than that, so some things break inside their souls. but at that moment, creation itself breaks. I believe that the spiritual and the physical were were much more close-knit, and then when they made this decision, man, it fractures, like a a joint coming out, and and it just never quite fits back the way it's supposed to. All creation, broken now. This thing that God repeatedly said, good, 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 is now broken like a dirty bomb going off, just radioactivity just infecting everything, it's tainted. Now death, disease, war, famine, hate, murder, everything just enters in through this one huge moment. And another thing that happens in this moment, they die, not physically. But something inside of them died. A, a spiritual death happened inside their souls. Their soul broke. And now they, they can't connect with their God the way that they were created to do because the thing is broken inside of them now. And not just them, unfortunately, everybody who comes after them, it's a genetic disease, it's inherited. You're born a sinner <laughs> from go. If you're curious about that, ask anybody who has a two-year-old, they will tell you. Born sinners, born sinners empirical evidence that is true broken inherited the spiritual cancer from the dna and then something else happened that moment at that moment We have to flash forward to see it. So I'm going to do a little Quentin Tarantino on you here. Uh, We're going to jump way way forward. We're going to jump thousands of years forward to something Jesus says, and it shows us something. So Jesus says this in John 14, 30. Right before he gets uh, arrested uh, to be hung on the cross, Jesus says this, I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me. The ruler of the world. Whoa. In Genesis 1... That was us, right? The crown was given to Adam and Eve, you, you be the little under rulers, God's the high king, you're the little king, God's the high king, you're the little queen. Who's he talking about? Well, if you know the story, Judas is the one who betrays Jesus, but right before Judas goes to to Jesus, Satan comes and actually possesses Judas. So the person who's on his way is Satan, and Jesus is giving him, Jesus himself is using the title for Satan, ruler of the world. Now, Jesus, I don't know if you caught the little tail end. He, he wasn't just giving Satan uh, the pat on the back. He also said, by the way, I'm not of this world. <laughs> so he has no authority over me. But it is his. He took it. So, th- so in, this, in the physical, you got Judas walking up. But in the spiritual, you have Satan with a crown that doesn't quite fit him right. A stolen crown. So... Instead of God's kingdom, where God was going to rule through us, Adam and Eve, in their grand act of treason, chose Satan's kingdom instead. So, that all happened. Third chapter of the Bible. You have this beautiful paradise, you have everything going right for five seconds, and then they screw everything up. Paradise lost, sin enters the world. I want you to keep this scene in your mind. So the first temptation and how wrong it went. Now we're going to jump thousands of years forward to Jesus' life. And one of the very first things that the gospel records about Jesus is in Matthew chapter 4. So we're jumping from the third chapter of the Old Testament to the fourth chapter of the New Testament. Here's what happens. 4 verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Why? To be tempted there by the devil. Hmm. This is a familiar scene then. Almost like a, a rewriting of the story, if you will. Return character. Satan making his return appearance to do the same thing again. Here he is. Welcome Satan back onto the scene. The tempter. No Adam and Eve this time. There's a new character he's going to be tempting, Jesus. The New Testament calls Jesus the second Adam. And he's going to undergo the same temptation. Very similar feel. The scene, think about the scene, this is crazy. The first one is this lush garden, animals chattering all around, this land of abundance, and this scene, (laughs) a desert, a wilderness, nothing. So the first Adam has this land of abundance, and and Satan comes and enters into this and tempts, and now, (laughs) thousands of years later, under new management, we're in a desert, (laughs) things aren't going so well. And he's coming to tempt Jesus. So, you put these two scenes together, it's almost like they're mirror images. It's almost like the writers, like, like, almost like these books are inspired or something, like God knew what he was doing here, putting these two things together. Here's the first temptation, here's the second one, and you put them on top of each other. So here's how it plays out, wild juxtaposition of these two scenes. Verse three, during that time the devil came to him and said, if you are the son of God, Tell these stones to become loaves of bread. So, I skipped a verse, I'm sorry. Verse 2 tells us that Jesus was fasting, so he was hungry. And Satan comes in and says, oh, hey, I perceive you to be hungry. Um, And look at how he talks, if you are the Son of God. (laughs) The same slippery, slimy sentences, right? He's still got that, that I'm not going to just go right at it. I'm going to ask a question, a leading question. I'm going to... I'm going to insinuate some things. I'm not going to say outright that I don't believe you're the son of God. But you know, if you really are Jesus, prove it. Show me. If God really loves you like you say he does, go ahead. Do this thing. Verse 4, Jesus responds. No. No. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So Jesus, now, mirroring Eve, quotes God back to Satan just like Eve did, right? Eve quoted God, now Jesus is doing the same thing. No, God said, I don't have to live by bread alone. I'm living by his word. So, ding, one for the good guys. Jesus and Eve, one point each. Satan's not done. He ups the ante a little bit with Jesus. Verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, same thing, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you. They will hold you up with their hands so you don't even hurt your foot on a stone. So now Satan is quoting the Bible. That's dirty, right? And essentially here he said, forget bread, Jesus. How about fame? You know, I don't really believe you're the son of God. By the way, nobody else does either. Why don't you just show us all? Show us all that, that God really does love you like you said. Show us all that you're the son of God, Jesus. Jump down. The angels aren't going to let you hit. We know. Do it. So again, just turning up the dial on this temptation. And Jesus responds. The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. So again, Jesus just fires right back with God's word. So... Two points for Jesus is already further than he've got. Okay, for, for keeping track of the score. Um, but really, Satan's leading to this next thing. It's the next thing that he was really after the whole time. So you know, Satan tells some lies at first. He asks some questions at first. He always gets to his point. Verse eight and nine, he says this. Next, the devil took him up to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I'll give it all to you if you only kneel down and worship me. That's what he wants. Now, what did you just do? Again, he just offered the kingdoms of the world. How can he do that? Because they're his. It's like, hey, Jesus, here you go. Look, check this out. Look at all this stuff. Look at all this stuff I got with this silly crown that doesn't quite fit my head. Look at this. Look at all the kingdoms. So Satan's perceiving something. And he's right. He's perceiving that Jesus is here for the crown. He sees it. And he's like, okay. You can have it. No problem. No problem. Take the crown. But just this one little thing. <laughs> worship me. So Jesus, I know you're here for my crown. Here, take the crown without the cross. Take, take the easy road, Jesus. Take, you can have it. I no idea. You're here for that. Fine, fine, fine. But just worship me. Whew. So there it is. He is right. That's why Jesus is here. Now. Pivotal moment, right? This is it. This is just like just like the garden. This is what God wants for you. God's kind of holding it. God wants you to take the hard road. Jesus, take the easy road. God doesn't have your best interest at heart. God doesn't really love you. Same thing. Repeat. Satan trying to get Jesus to trip the same way he tripped Eve. Thank God, verse 10. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Boom. Where Adam and Eve failed, Jesus succeeds. History does not repeat itself. Jesus wins where they lost. It's a huge moment. Huge moment. Again, paradise was lost. And, and, and in this perfect like, environment, it was lost. And Jesus goes to a place, the opposite of paradise, and like plants a flag in the ground and says, we're not doing that anymore. Here begins anew in this barren place. He plants a flag and says, Satan, this is the beginning of your end. Right here. Now, immediately after this. So uh, just drop down seven verses. The very next thing that Jesus does, look at this. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Immediately. Immediately. I mean, think about that. That's, isn't that crazy that Satan takes him up in this mountain and says, here's all the kingdoms of the world. You can have the crown. Just, just bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, get out of here. No. And then, very next thing, Jesus says, hey, guys, I'm starting a new one. I'm, I'm gonna, that thing that we lost back then, I'm going to make a new one now. Come, come, surrender to God. Turn from your sin. I'm going to start a new kingdom. One from heaven is coming down. De- declaring pretty much war right? He's declaring war. <laughs> so what is it? What is the kingdom of heaven that Jesus starts? And Jesus will not shut up about this. By the way, this is part of the reason Jesus gets killed, because he will not shut up about the kingdom. And when, it, when people hear kingdom, they think, oh, he's coming to Rome. Here, good, thank God, Jesus. Where's your army, by the way? Where's your crown? You know, where where's your where's your throne? Where's all that stuff? They thought Jesus meant physically. But Jesus repeatedly, repeatedly like defers away from that. He said, No, 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 I'm setting up a counter kingdom and it's a spiritual kingdom. It's a spiritual one designed to undo what Satan has done. No castles, no, no swords, no, no glittering armies. It's a spiritual kingdom. Jesus is setting out to undo the curse that Adam and Eve unleashed on the earth. He's gonna push back darkness wherever he goes. So he calls people to turn from their sin, to give their lives to God, to surrender to God, and then to participate with him in pushing back darkness. So, what sort of tale are we caught up in? What's the story? What's the story? C.S. Lewis says it this way. I wasn't kidding." Enemy-occupied territory, that is what this world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, and you might say landed in disguise, and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. That is the story you are caught up in. That is the great story that's being written over history. We lost paradise. Satan took over. He took the crown. And then he ran rampant over the earth. And Jesus declared, no, we're going to start a new one. It's the kingdom of heaven. Do you want to be a part of it? Do you want to help me push back darkness in this world? Do you want to help me bring as many people to knowing me as possible? It's a new kingdom. Great campaign of sabotage. So when Samwise Gamgee says, what sort of tale have we fallen into? This is it. This is the sort of tale. Our king, our true king has landed. And his mission is to take back the world from the evil that's ruled it. And instead of doing it in the physical, and gosh, you got to hear me. Please don't hear me say things I'm not saying because I'm not. uh, Yes, I'm talking about an insurrection, but I'm talking about a spiritual one. Jesus did not take over any government buildings. He did not take down any government rulers. He didn't have an army. Jesus actually specifically said to Pilate, when Pilate, who's a ruler, says, so you are a king? Jesus said, my is not out of this world. If they were, if I were, my followers would be fighting for me right now, but they're not because that's not the kind of kingdom I'm building here. Don't hear me say something I'm not saying. It's a spiritual thing. Jesus came to win the world through love, one life at a time. That's why he was here. He's going to take Satan's kingdom like a guerrilla spiritual warfare. He's not coming in force until he comes back the next time. And it's the real deal. This one, we're fighting. This This is more of the behind the scenes kind of a fight. And then, okay, so Jesus declares this thing. He, he, he tells Satan, no, I'm not taking your kingdoms. I'm going to build my own kingdom. And then the very next thing Jesus does is uh, look at Matthew 4.19. I love this verse. Jesus called out to them, come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Jesus walks up to a bunch of ragtag, uneducated fishermen and say, hey, I'm gonna go build a really cool spiritual kingdom that's gonna be like, it's gonna like last forever. You guys wanna come? <laughs> and he calls these 12 normal guys. Hey, I'm gonna build the kingdom of heaven starting here. We're planting a flag in the ground. We're just gonna start pushing back darkness everywhere. We're gonna build a new spiritual kingdom. We're gonna do it through love, and we're gonna watch God work through that. Do you wanna be a part of it? That's what he does. You ever wonder why the movies with the underdog rebels always resonate with you? What, why they resonate with actually like, the, those are the movies that, that, that go crazy, right? The ones where, yeah, um, you got the, the underdog group of, of rebel scum, right? Who take on the evil empire. Why, why does that resonate? Why is that the story that every human goes, man, Why is it that two small hobbits destroying a ring of power and undoing great evil controlling the world, why does that resonate? Why does a a misfit computer programmer who takes the blue pill, not the red pill, freeing humanity from from evil control, why why are those the ones that just go crazy in our society? Maybe it's because those stories, those underdog rebel stories are the story they are a shadow of the story that God is writing over history that the rightful king has landed and that we are supposed to participate in this spiritual rebellion you are rebel scum it's you if you don't watch Star Wars now I'm giving you another nerdy thing to go watch you are a saboteur you are an insurrectionist you are a freedom fighter in the spiritual God is calling you to take part in a great campaign of spiritual sabotage in this world. That's it. That's your purpose. That's it. And listen. So I know this is the other thing. I know that like when you hear me start to talk about purpose, everybody always like thinks it's going to be your job. All right. Like I wanted to be a veterinarian when I was little and then I became an accountant because it was a smart move and now I've missed it. No, no, stop it, it's not it. If you hear what I'm saying, if you understand that God is calling you to take part in a great spiritual campaign of sabotage to undo what the devil's doing, to love people, to share your faith with people, to say no to sin, say yes to God in your life, that's your purpose. can happen anywhere it doesn't matter where you are right it doesn't matter what your job is you can do that wherever you are you can fulfill your purpose no matter where you are or who you're with you can push back darkness wherever god puts you so don't get caught up in that don't get caught up in i gotta go change my career sometimes god does do that but most of the time he's going to use you right where you are within the lives of the people that you're already around so, so what, I, what I mean when I say build the kingdom of God, what I mean when I say uh, you know, participate in this grand spiritual act of sabotage is, man, every time you say no to sin in your life, every time you say no to sin, it is a, a spiritual statement, the same kind of flag in the ground that Jesus placed your place in. Every time you're selfless instead of selfish. Every time you choose love over hate. Every time you forgive instead of staying bitter. Every time you choose to apologize instead of staying stubborn. Every time you choose generosity over greed. Every time you choose faith over fear. Every time you choose to share your faith instead of keeping your mouth shut. And every time you choose God's way over your way, you are committing a spiritual act of insurrection. You're sticking it to the devil. That's it. That's your purpose. Is it grand enough for you? Say yes to God. I could just simplify it for you. Your purpose on this earth is to say yes to God. And, and the beautiful part about that is it's true of everybody in here. We're all saying yes to God in different things, and maybe some of us are further down the road than others. But the, the easiest way to say that you can participate in building God's kingdom on this earth and sabotaging the other kingdom that's already been set up is to say yes. To God and whatever that next thing is. That's it. You'll build his kingdom right there. You'll plant that flag right there. That's it. Now, I want to read something that's even kind of more mind-blowing. Jesus says this in Luke 12, 31 and 32. He says, seek first the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. And then he says this in verse 32, don't be afraid, little flock. You almost get like this, this change in the tone of voice. It gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. And like when I read that in the context of what I just told you, I kind of want to go, "Are you sure?" Cuz like we messed it up last time. <laughs> Big time messed it up. But God like a loving parents like, "Hey, hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. You did. You didn't miss the best part. I kind of left it out for last." Again, I'm kind of quitting tarantino in this thing. Jesus did take the crown don't make the mistake of thinking that Satan still is awkwardly wearing it around and Satan has a twisted sense of humor I think Satan, Satan obviously set out to kill Jesus and, and, and Satan puts a crown of thorns on Jesus' head oh you wanted a crown, here you go buddy and then, and then he puts him on a tree to kill him which again is a little throwback to the trees where it all went wrong ha ha ha, ha I'm going to kill you again we're going to have things go wrong again on a tree but he overplayed his hand he didn't know that that Saturday, that good or that good Friday and that good and Saturday, that Jesus is going to march into hell and be like, "Hey, you're wearing my crown." Snatch that thing off his head. Oh, by the way, give me the to this place. <laughs> it's mine now. And Death just going to step on your head. And then when <laughs> Easter morning hits, Jesus rises, not just not just son of God, but king of kings with the crown that fits like it was made for him. And now he is the ruler of this world in every which way you can be. Satan's picked. And now we still get to participate in this. So, you know why he did that, right? Jesus died on the cross, not just to take the overall thing back, but, but for you because you were born just like, just like everyone else with, with sin in your heart and your, your spirit's broken and Jesus came because he wanted to fix that. His act of self-sacrifice fixes that. And when you put your faith in him, he can bring something to life in you that has been dead and, and gives you this relationship with God and a future home in heaven. He did it for you. And like we've been saying, God does, he wants to do things for you, in you, and through you. So the first thing he did something for you, he died on the cross for you. And that's, the, you got to get that. You can't skip that step. That's important. You, you can't go past that one. You got to hit that. And if you've never accepted Jesus as your savior, do, do it. Surrender it. This is the story you're in. It's the story. And then he wants to go to work inside of you. He wants to do some things in you, but then he's not going to stop there. He doesn't want to just work in you. He wants to work through you. And that's really where the kingdom of God becomes, begins to really be built through your life when you start to allow God to work through you. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to use you to then share the story with others so that other people can experience the same thing you experienced and other people can become free and alive in their souls. That's what he really wants. That's your purpose. People far from God, but close to you—that's what He wants to use you to reach. So every single day, worship team. I'm sorry, I should have called you up here a minute ago. Look at me getting all caught up. Kingdom of God. Every day, you have a choice. Every single day, you have a choice—the same choice Eve had, and the same choice Jesus had. Will you believe Satan's oldest lie, or? Will you like Jesus playing a flag in the ground? Every single day you have that opportunity to say yes to God and no to what the devil's whispering in your ear. Every single day you can put another brick in the kingdom of God. Every single day you can push back darkness. It's your choice. Every single day. Man, build it. This is the thing, it's written on your heart. Do Do you not sense it? Do you not feel it that God wants to do great things through you, that God has big plans for your life? He wants your purpose to ripple out from you and into eternity, man. Don't say no to that. Anything you say yes to, besides that, will be a lesser thing. Do you know that? Anything. Choose to say yes to God. Pray with me, Jesus. Man, I, I love, I love that you, the Lord, the story you're writing is just spectacular. I want to be a part of it, Lord, and I want everybody sitting here to be a part of it as well pray for the person out here right now, Lord, who has not accepted you as their Savior, Lord, who are they're holding on to something. They're tro- still trying to work their way to you, Lord. I pray that they'd give that up and just pray to you right now. Jesus, I give you my life. I pray, I, I pray that you would just break in right now, Lord. Help them ask you for forgiveness and just give their life to you. I pray for the person who's sitting here who, who's doubted that they have purpose left, that they've screwed up so many times. They've taken too many wrong turns, that they're, they're just caught up in that and they don't feel like you could possibly have anything left for them. Lord, I, I pray that you breathe new life into their soul right now you do still have purpose. And I pray for those those of us sitting here kind of on the cusp of that next step, that next thing. You're calling us to a deeper life with you. That You're calling us to more boldness in our faith, Lord. I pray that you would move in our hearts, Lord, to take that next step, that thing that you're nudging us to right now, Lord, that thing that you're bringing up in our souls that we would say yes, just like you did. And plant that flag in the ground and say, Satan, no, not your kingdom, God's kingdom. I'm building his. Pray for this church, Lord. Do that revival thing, Lord. We want to see it. In Jesus' name, amen.